0: I mean living by the sea um, is just something I've always wanted to do really Um, I kind of had it in Cardiff although it wasn't that near to where we're living but my flat in Barry it's quite a basic one bedroom flat but the sea is a two minute walk away so you know those days when you've been teaching all day in the flat you need to get some fresh air you can go for a walk along Longomare which is the seafront or go for a run and it just clears your head it's a really really beautiful place just to go and have a stroll up and down the seafront and um, there's something in Italy um, La the passeggiata which is the daily walk that people have so obviously it hasn't been happening so much because of covid but families couples friends they'll just go for a walk normally before dinner and they'll just walk up and down Langomare saying hello to people and you know that's something that in London we just don't do
1: hello i'm alan hill In this podcast series of The Nostalgic Vagabond, we're talking travel, all kinds of travel, with all kinds of interesting people from all around the world. In conversation, we'll share personal anecdotes, tales of adventure, and maybe misadventure too. Listen in for some unique cultural perspectives, tips from seasoned veterans, and an array of diverse experiences that have contributed to many life-changing journeys. Travel really is a privilege. We know that now. And if we can't do it right this very moment, let's talk about it then. Hey, where are you right now? On this episode of the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast, I talk with Clive Drew. Clive and I met in actual three-dimensional space over ten years ago, at the end of 2010, on a night out in the East End of London. We have a mutual friend called Chris, who organised a curry on the famous Brick Lane and then to go enjoy Clive's gig in the old Truman Brewery. Good times, apart from the overly inflated price of Jamaican lager. Clive is a passionate and creative person, with over 12 years' experience in PR and marketing, specialising in the music biz. Writer, musician, and conscientious worker, it makes sense that Clive excelled in work and life in the big city, London. So why did he move? In conversation, we talk about moving to London in your 20s and 30s to pursue your best life, and I inquire as to why then after a decade or so, Clive decided to pack up his life in London and move abroad. Perhaps a sea change with a career change? Clive shares some of the preparations he made in terms of vocation and location prior to leaving London, and also about his six-week trip to India, which he made in the time available between leaving the UK and setting up in his new job and place in Italy on the Adriatic Sea. We talk about the timings of our big decisions in life, whether there is a right time, a wrong time, or just our time. Clive explains what his motivations were for this experience abroad, and working as an English teacher in Bari, and how this time has been beneficial for rediscovering some of his first loved creative pursuits, such as writing. We talk about the kinds of discoveries, explorations and many adventures Clive has made since living in Italy and how his lifestyle has been affected by COVID times. In the end, we both agree that the best thing to do right now is to keep a positive mindset and immerse yourself in culture for creative inspirations. Clive gives his advice for anyone thinking of seeking a sea change or maybe a career change and becoming a TEFL or a TESOL teacher somewhere in this wonderful world. Anyways. Let's just get to the conversation. All right. Welcome, Clive, Drew, and thanks for coming on the Nostalgic Vagabond
0: podcast. My pleasure. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Where are you exactly zooming in from right now today? So at the moment, I am in Bari in Puglia. Um, So it's a city on the Adriatic coast in Italy. I've been here for about 18 months or so, um, and I'm living and working out here. Brilliant. The
1: interesting thing I've discovered recently since covid days have started and we've all been kind of stuck in lockdown is i've been able to reconnect with a lot of people over zoom mm. from years gone by in my travelling past and you're one of these examples clive because we actually met in london i think at the end of 2010
0: in the east end that's right so i think it would have been november or december 2010 we obviously have a mutual friend chris tidy big up chris if you're listening and I think you came along to our gig, didn't you? It was at 93 feet east in the Truman Brewery in East London. So it's funny how, you know, different things come and go. And, you know, a connection that started 10 years ago comes back into fruition now.
1: Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, I worked with Chris in the States in the summertime of 2010. And at that time, I didn't know, but I ended up moving to the UK shortly after that summer and, yeah, Chris said, do you want to come out to see one of my mates perform in the East End? Because I'd recently just moved, honestly, 10-minute mm. walk away from where you were gigging that night. And I said, yeah, let's go grab a curry on the brick lane and then go watch a band. And, Why not? And uh, meet some of Chris's mates from school, I suppose, and yeah, his hometown. Yeah. We we had a good night and watched you gig. And then I don't think we've actually seen each other in the flesh since then. I mean, we've had a few uh, exchanges on
0: Facebook, et cetera. But, yeah. <laughs> that was the last time we met 10 years ago um, but it's crazy you know it's crazy how time flies and i think um you know the nice thing actually about that night is that pretty much everyone that was there and i'm in touch with now chris is still part of the friendship group and although he's got married and things like that we're still in contact a lot of the other guys we still know and we still see regularly so yeah thanks for coming down all those 10 years ago
1: Yeah, it's good times. I didn't realize it, but you actually moved to London shortly after that gig from, I guess, uh, Newbury?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I went to university in Cardiff, um, was raised for most of my teenage years in Newbury, which is about an hour away from London. I spent two and a bit years living in Newbury after university, mainly A, working in marketing, but also B, spending some time on the band, the screen beats that I was in then. And it was in January 2011 that I moved to London. I was already spending a lot of time there, and it just made sense really to move and to embrace life in the city. So that was the start of a, you know, fairly hectic kind of eight or nine years of living and enjoying the city, really.
1: Yeah. yeah. So you spent most of your 20s heading into your 30s living in London. I did. Would you say that? You know, that's a fairly typical thing for young people to do in the UK, move to the big city, go for their career. And if they're from a smaller town, try pursue their dream in London, for example.
0: I think it really depends on the individual, you know. Um, I had some friends that finished university and they fully embraced moving back to a small town and loving that lifestyle. And that's completely cool, you know. Um, But on the other hand, I think if you have an interest in music and culture and things like kind of nights out nightlife <laughs> um I think you always got to want to go towards a big city you know and for me I was quite happy for those two years in Newbury I was loving being in my band I had a kind of good first job on the career ladder at that point point. and I just thought actually I'm going to regret if I don't move to London now and if I don't have that lifestyle and it was a lot of fun I worked really really hard in some long hours but had a lot of fun as well you know at one point i was going to a gig every week which was awesome um made a lot of new friends got to know a new area brixton Mm -hmm. where i moved in 2012 2011 um and you know it's almost become part of me it's like my second home sort of thing so yeah i think that if people have an interest in culture and music you're always going to gravitate towards the big cities
1: it's so funny that you say brixton because i've worked in brixton for many years now have you and it's just bizarre
0: that we've never bumped into each other and that is crazy we've probably been on the same tube train oh i'm sure we have whereabouts in brixton have you been working
1: um i was working up on the brixton hill by the south circular so literally you know walking yeah, distance yeah. from you. So it's just yeah. funny that we met those years ago when we were neighbours and didn't really even realise it.
0: It's bizarre, isn't it? We should have gone for a pint or gone for a coffee or something. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a small world. Brixton Hills, a uh, really nice area. I moved there actually in 2018. And, you know, lots of small businesses, lots of good kind of coffee shops, pizzerias, that sort of thing. It's uh, It's a nice place to live.
1: Yeah. Now, you spent your... You said 9 years living in London you were on the sort of in the marketing game pretty much and yeah. then all of a sudden everything changed you decided to drop what you were doing in London and now you're living and working in Italy what exactly was the catalyst that pushed you from i guess your your comfortable but maybe hectic and entertaining mm. life in London to go traveling and then to go for a sea
0: change in Italy? So I don't think there is really any one factor. I guess it started off probably years ago. I remember going on holiday with friends to places like Berlin, places like Paris, um, even Nashville in the USA, and thinking, you know, I don't just want to live all my life in London, working, retire, and, you know, follow that kind of trajectory. So I had had the thought about living and working abroad for some time. And in London, you know, years have a habit of kind of running away with you a bit sometimes. Oh, you know, I'll do it next year. I'll do it next year. And then a new job offer comes along and you think, okay, I'll do this for a couple more years. And it was really by the time I was probably 30 or so that I thought, actually, before I get much older, I want to have this experience living and working somewhere else, getting to know a different culture and all these things. Um, It took about a year or two of planning. I didn't necessarily tell all my friends, which wasn't me being secretive. It was just one of those things that was kind of in gestation.
1: Mm.
0: And eventually it was um, kind of autumn 2019. That's when I decided to kind of step away from things and go and accept this role in Italy. I originally never thought that I'd necessarily live in a country where I didn't speak the language. Uh, I thought maybe Canada or America would be perhaps an easier option. Um, But the role came up in Barry. Uh, I liked the school. I liked the boss who kind of interviewed me. And I thought, actually, why not give it a go? And, you know, two years later, it feels, you know, almost like part of me is here in Barry. I think that after coronavirus, you know, (laughs) all of us have been through a bit of an ordeal. And actually, it's kind of got under your skin a bit. So that was the reason why I wanted the change, really. So you were saying...
1: It was kind of an idea that was gestating in your mind for some time. Yeah. Was this part of your plan even before you moved to London? Or was it something that by living in London all those years, you kind of got the idea that, hey, maybe I want to do something different, at least try something different?
0: I I don't think when I moved to London, I necessarily thought that I would move to another country eight or nine years later. I moved to London primarily because I wanted the buzz of the city. I wanted the access to music and culture that maybe living in Newby didn't give me. (laughs) And what happened there was that, you know, I did get all those things, but also the industry in London, particularly the music industry that I was working in, the PR industry, it's quite cutthroat, it's quite fast paced. And actually, that was a factor as well, I've got to be honest, where I thought, you know, all I want to do you know, I just don't want to work all the time and have a few hours in the evening for pleasure. I kind of want to try and readjust that balance a little bit. So I think that you see London for warts and all, what it's worth. You see the good side, you see the bad side. Mm. That was really, I guess part of the reason behind it. I just thought, I want to do something different. Only good can come out of this in a way, you know, I'm learning a new language. I'm learning to cook Italian food it's a massive step out of your comfort zone in terms of upping kind of life as you knew it. So, yeah, I think it's been, you know, definitely an enriching experience so far. Mm.
1: Now you were saying that it was a period of a year or two, from when you were kind of deciding to move to the point you actually did it. And you'd only told a select few of people and not necessarily kept things secretive, but just kept things to yourself. Now, were you studying like a a TEFL or a TESOL certificate in that process as
0: well? I did a qualification on and off actually between 2017 and 2020, more as a, you know, something to have up my sleeve sort of thing. I started applying for jobs really probably in September 2019, obviously, about three, four months before COVID. And I adopted the strategy that I'd normally use for applying for work in London. So I sent off CVs and applications to about six or seven different companies. And to my surprise, they all came back to me and basically said, we're interested. Because in London, it's a numbers game, you have to be quite thick skinned with Mm -hmm. rejection, that sort of thing. But With the schools, it seemed like they were crying out for native English speakers. So I interviewed for a role in Hanoi in Vietnam that I was seriously considering. There was one in Bangkok. Um, There was another in Catania in Sicily and also a job in Rome. But for some reason, Barry just felt like it was a good starting place. (laughs) It's a nice city by the sea. It's not small, it's 300,000 people living here, but it felt like it's a nice, you know, nice option, something a little bit different to London.
1: Yeah. So you've gone for a sea change in Bari, but you didn't go straight from London to Italy. You did a bit of traveling in between, didn't you? So can you explain and elaborate a little bit about what was the purpose behind that adventure and what did you gain from
0: those traveling days in in India? Yeah, I I I went to India. I spent six weeks um, Mm. trying to see as much of India as I possibly could do. The main reason behind that was that I wanted to go to India. I wanted have a prolonged travel experience um, I went into my career at 21 and whilst I've had some really fun holidays I've never really traveled for more than two weeks at a time so I thought you know before this new role started in January it was the time to go to India so I spent some time in Mumbai went to Pune um, spent some time in the kind of countryside in Maharashtra Goa which was fine but a bit of a holiday resort, I wouldn't rush back there necessarily, (laughs) Um, and then went over to Chennai, Kerala, Kolkata, and then saw some family on my grandmother's side up in Shillong, which is a kind of hill station in the Meghalaya region. Um, And that was was incredible. I really um, didn't know what to expect from kind of meeting these long, not long lost, but, you know, distant family members. But, um, yeah, they just made me feel incredibly welcome. And, you know, there were family members coming out of the woodwork that I never knew I had. So, yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> and if it wasn't for COVID, I'd probably be back there. Not now, but certainly, you know, I would have gone back a bit sooner because it's an incredible place. And I just think even six weeks, it's not enough to really do it justice, you know. Yeah. Have, have you been?
1: I have not been to India. No, I've been to Pakistan, mm. which in some ways is similar, but in other ways is completely different. Yeah, yeah. But it seems, Clive, that you had a very
0: condensed gap year in your 30s (laughs) rather than your 20s or teens. Possibly. I mean, I don't like the term gap year just because it kind of conjures up images of, um, you know, um, I don't know. I won't say that. Cut that bit out. I was going to say um, public (laughs) (laughs) school with backpacks. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't say gap year. More you know, this is a chance in my life to kind of reset a little bit, you know, do the things maybe you didn't do in your in your early 20s, um, and perhaps do it with the benefit of having a bit of life experience and, you know, not being so, I guess, you know, maybe easily led astray as you were in your early 20s.
1: Yeah, good. That's a good point. I find for my travels, I guess, in my 20s more than now, it's been a period of establishing or redefining or gaining for the first time that sense of identity Mm. now what i find interesting clive is that when you were in india you met all these distant family members did that have an impact on you in a way that you kind of discovered more about who you are
0: it's quite a deep question alan (laughs) but um in a way i think with the family in shillong they're a very very close-knit tight family And, you know, I'm close to my family here in the UK. I've got great parents, a lovely sister, great nephews, but we don't see each other every day. Whereas these guys in Shillong, they live together. They live almost on a family compound. You know, they live very much a kind of collective shared experience. So I wouldn't say it's changed me as such, but it's certainly opened my eyes to how certain families live, how certain communities live. You know, perhaps in the West, everyone's a little bit too isolationist. You know, I think the fact that most people in their 20s leave home to live in London or to study or to travel, that isn't quite the same situation over there. So that was more something it's opened my eyes to as opposed to perhaps changing me. But, you know, with India, there's obviously, um, you know, huge problems there in terms of poverty, um, in terms of inequality and You know, that's just something that, you know, is always going to stay with you, I guess. And it's just something that, you know, there's no avoiding it when you're there, really. Yeah.
1: I was going to ask Clive, again, with the timing of things and when we decide to make these choices in our life, with what you've done by moving from your home country of the UK to go live and work in Italy, and teach English, and immerse yourself in the culture there. This whole teach English abroad idea, I think is commonly for people perhaps who are using it instead of going to uni, or are doing it straight out of university. So they're usually around early 20s. In your case, it's a decade later, in early 30s. I was wondering if you've ever considered this decision to be kind of radical in terms of it's not perhaps the, the norm from the culture that you're living in. And have you ever got any kind of kickback from friends or family or, or uh, bosses in London
0: about this decision? So, so I think first and foremost, you know, looking at the school that I'm working in at the moment, it's the second largest uh, language school in Italy. And there's 50 teachers. And it's a real, real mix of ages, backgrounds, nationalities. Um, Obviously, everyone's quite proficient when it comes to English, but there's people there in their early 20s who are straight out of university. There's people there who are my age. There's people there who are kind of 40, 50, even some people a bit older than that who, you know, maybe are doing it as a secondary income to their family. So it's actually quite eye opening. There's a lot of different people here Um, and some people who are career TEFL teachers, you know, they're examiners, they're qualified to invigilate these sorts of things. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily only for people in their 20s but you know from my point of view it's like I said earlier I think that only goods can benefit from it really I teach a mixture of kids eight and nine year olds right through to people who are you know business professionals in their 50s or 60s who need English for a job application or a job interview and it's just a very rewarding experience really you know I've done a lot of teaching online but also done quite a lot of teaching in person. And, you know, I stood up and taught 25, 10-year-olds most of last year in a state school in a town called Valenzano near Barry. And, you know, even from a more commercial point of view, that's good for your presentation skills to engage and teach a class for two hours, two times a week. So hopefully it won't backfire in the future, this decision. You know, I'm fairly confident that you learn new skills, It's increased confidence, it's increased creativity, you know, when you're planning lessons. Um, But, you know, we'll see what happens. Everyone lives their own path, don't they? Mm. And makes decisions. And, you know, I think that we'll be working till we're probably 70, you know, the way things are going. (laughs) And I don't see there anything being wrong with perhaps having a few different professions in your life. You know, you spend 15, 20 years in marketing, you spend 10 years being a teacher then maybe, you know, you become a freelance journalist for a few years, you do mentoring with students who are preparing for exams. I think that, you know, a good way to live your life might be to have a few fingers in different pies yeah. and kind of split your time between those.
1: That's a slightly depressing thought, Clive, saying we'll probably be working till we're in our 70s. But well, anyway, I suppose in that sense... guess the
0: key <laughs> is to enjoy what we do for work, you know, but yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, my next question kind of... Is, is related to what we've just been saying this move to Italy has it been like a sea change with a career change or do you see it more like a hiatus from your marketing profession in London or is it kind of just like an open-ended experiment
0: it's a bit of an open-ended experiment I think that part of the rationale for me coming here as well was to maybe be inspired creatively whether that's an entrepreneurial idea or something along those lines um, I've started writing again um, my blog set your own scene which you know was something I did as a teenager in, a, in my early 20s um, I kind of wrote for the music press as a freelancer so you know being out here has meant that I've rediscovered writing again which is you know one example of that I'm still doing some kind of PR and marketing consultancy as well as the teaching so I don't really want to shut either door to be honest with you I think that we'll see how things go once we emerge out of COVID. And then, you know, that's the time to reevaluate. But, you know, it's definitely an experiment of some kind. You know, I think that, you know, the most important thing for me is that I have a life experience. You do something different compared to just working every day, which is kind of how things were in London. And hopefully you come out of it a better person or, you know, you learn something about yourself or you have some new skills. Mm. So, yeah, that's that kind of the the idea really.
1: It's interesting now that I think back when I was probably finishing high school and and entering into university and obviously considering this whole idea of career which at that time was the be all and end all
0: Mm.
1: before the financial crisis I suppose.
0: Yeah very true.
1: In Australia where I, I grew up there was this idea that people who had this sort of international experience or experiences abroad whether that be traveling or working or a combination of both made you more employable in a sense because you had that greater life experience and as you were saying Clive these experiences perhaps outside your niche let's say can help you increase your levels of confidence your um, you know your flexibility in certain situations And, and I suppose these qualities can make you more employable than somebody who hasn't had that experience, even if you've got the same piece of paper that says you've got this degree or
0: this many Mm. years experience in this job. I would think so. Um, You know, when I left London, I was in a fairly senior role. And every now and again, it would be my position to interview people, look through CVs. And, um, you know, certainly I would look for people that have done something a little bit different rather than just university, just work, Um, You know, someone that does something in their spare time, for me, personally, is always infinitely more interesting and impressive than someone who, you know, puts Netflix and going to the movies as their interest. So, yeah, I think that, you know, people, well, in my eyes, you know, people who are going places tend to have something a little bit different to bring to the table, perhaps. Let's just hope that most employees see it that way.
1: Yeah. You said you had a few offers to teach. You had offers in... Vietnam, Thailand and a bunch in Italy. Yeah. But you ended up choosing Bari. That's th- right. As the option. I was curious Clive, what what are what are your favorite things that you've discovered about Bari? Is it like uh the food there, is it the culture, the lifestyle, is it by being right near the the Mediterranean or the Adriatic Sea there? And
0: and how does that compare with life in London? So, I um, I mean living by the sea um, it's just something I've always wanted to do, really. Um, I kind of had it in Cardiff, although it wasn't that near to where we were living. But my flat in Barry, it's quite a basic one bedroom flat, but the sea is a two minute walk away. So, you know, those days when you've been teaching all day in the flat, you need to get some fresh air. You can go for a walk along Longomare, which is the seafront, or go for a run. And it just clears your head. It's a really, really beautiful place just to go and have a stroll up and down the seafront. And um, there's something in Italy, um, the Passaggiata, which is the daily walk that people have. So obviously it hasn't been happening so much because of COVID, but families, couples, friends, they'll just go for a walk normally before dinner and they'll just walk up and down Longomare saying hello to people. And, you know, that's something that in London we just don't do, you know, can you imagine people walking up and down Brixton High Street at seven in the evening, you know, in taking in the sights, people (laughs) rush around too much. that's been something that's been really, really nice, and you know I think we can all learn a bit from that. You know, take more time to kind of appreciate life and appreciate where we live. The food has been another big kind of draw for me. It's quite famous for la cucina povera, which is um, food traditionally of the poor. Puglia is really, um, it's almost like a power plant for things like olive oil, for bread, for grain. So a lot of the food here tends to be vegetarian. Two of the most famous dishes, there's something called fave a chicoria, which is fava beans, broad beans, that is kind of cooked down into a paste or almost a puree. And then it's served with chicoria, which is a bitter green vegetable on top of it. Mm. And, you know, it's just a very healthy kind of lunch or accompaniment to a main meal. And then there's also orecchietti, which is a very small pasta, which means little ears, so if you go into Barry Vecchia, the old town here, you can see these old ladies that sit outside their homes and they'll just be rolling and making these pasta shapes all day and then selling bags for a couple of euros. And there's a very famous dish here, Oricchietti conchima d'arappe, which is Oricchietti with, again, this kind of bitter green vegetable that's found in Puglia in the south. So that's something that I've been loving getting to grips with. It's very unique to the area. And that's something I've found with Italy as well, is that each region is almost like a country in itself. Mm -hmm. They'll speak a different dialect. They'll have different cultures. They'll have different kind of customs, different cuisines. And I don't know whether it comes from the fact that Italy used to be lots of different kingdoms prior to unification, perhaps. But, you know, it's very interesting. And, you know, Puglia, there's more to it than just the sun. I think, you know, there's a real kind of hardworking work ethic here. And that's reflected in the food, actually, I think, as well.
1: Yeah. It seems like what you're explaining is one of the biggest changes between life in London and life in Bari is just the pace. Like you were expressing, you, you can't imagine somebody just before dinner wandering about the centre of London just experiencing evening life. Yeah. I went to Sicily a few years ago uh, to oh, cool. do some writing with a colleague. Before I went, I was reading a book about just Italian life in Sicily and and getting an understanding of what goes on there. I imagine it's similar in ways because of the geographical closeness to Bari. Yeah. all Southern yeah. Italy, let's say. But they were saying that, yeah, this whole strutting through the streets pre-aperitivo, mm. you know, in your best evening where checking out what's going on was a very Italian thing to do. And it's true. it really vibed with me. I like the idea yeah. of that. And, and it just doesn't happen in the UK or in other sort of English-speaking
0: Western places. It's true. I mean, it's just such a nice idea. You know, in Brixton, if you just went for a walk with your friends and you knew that you would see other people you know in the process, it's a, it's a really, really nice social thing. Um, and something I've noticed as well is that the squares in towns... Even the smallest little square, particularly in the summer, would just become alive with people, you know, 5pm as they kind of emerge out of the siesta, um, and also after dinner. You know, I was in Rivoli, which is a suburb near Turin in August, and um, this very small suburb was quite sleepy until about 9, 10 o'clock at night, and at half past 10 at night, this square was just full of people, kids, old people, it just, you know, it feels like there's much more sense of community here i think yeah mm.
1: i imagine you've had a decent amount of time to explore italy even that's been your only option in COVID times because the borders have been a bit iffy with yeah. going into other yeah. countries so have you made the most of that opportunity to really immerse yourself in the different areas and different regions i've of the
0: tried time? to do as much as i've really been able to before covid um i went to napoli with some colleagues I went to Bologna, which I absolutely loved. It's a really, really cool, vibey city. Very ancient, but also students So You get the best of both worlds. I um, also went to Calabria, which is very rugged and very kind of mountainous. Um, and then COVID hit. So unfortunately, it was kind of four months of lockdown. It was quite dire here, unfortunately, in kind of March and April. Italy was probably, you know, the worst hit initially. Then things started to get a bit better July, August, September, In retrospect, I think perhaps they opened up too soon because now we're maybe seeing the result of that. Mm. But yeah, I went all over the place, really. Um, You know, always obviously safe and socially distanced where I needed to. I spent a week in Sicily, which was really cool. Felt like I kind of got to know the island quite well. Um, I actually picked up a car from the UK and drove back down through France and then Italy um, in August, September. I was initially coming back for a punk festival in Barrie. But then that got cancelled because there is a restriction on gatherings. Right. So I thought, actually, I'm going to take my time and just really enjoy winding my way through Italy. So I got through France quite quickly because the COVID cases were increasing there. So I just put my foot down and stuck to the motorway. But then when I was in Italy, I just really meandered around. So I went to Turin, Piacenza, spent a lot of time in Emilia-Romagna, um, Vasto in Abruzzo, the Gargano, which is quite an unknown national park, just north of Barry, kind of near a Foggia. And that was spectacular. It's a really, really beautiful, kind of idyllic place. And, and to be honest, what I love most, when we're able to travel, I'll just look at the map, you know, speak to some Italian acquaintances I have and say, you know, is this place any good? And I'll hop in the car and make a day trip there. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, when we could still travel within Puglia, I went to a place called Gioia del Colle. That pronunciation probably isn't correct. And it's a town that's made of mozzarella and wine. And it's just amazing that these towns are really, really famous for such kind of niche produce. Mm. And you go there and it's a very kind of pretty, quaint town. But you've got all these cheese shops and, you know, it's almost like they're competing to have the best, freshest produce possible. So... Yeah, I think hopefully I'm trying to cram as much into my time as possible. Mm. But, you know, it's been a disrupted year for all of us, hasn't it, in a way? So yeah, just got to do what we got to do.
1: Exactly. So are you saying that you're driving a British vehicle in Italy?
0: I am. Yeah.
1: How is that going for you being on the sort of wrong side of the car driving, but also doing that? In Italy, I mean, I know there's a bit of a reputation yeah, with Italian yeah. drivers,
0: but has that been your experience or not? Well, t- touch wood, it's been fine so far. You know, Italian drivers, they've got a reputation. And, you know, my students, they will laugh about themselves, describing themselves. You know, they are, um, how should we say this, aggressive drivers. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the motorways, they have two lanes. So it's actually quite an exhausting experience because either the slow lane is a bit too slow for you. Or the fast lane, you'll get someone that, that far away from your car wanting you to move over so they can speed down at 150 miles an hour. So <laughs> it's okay, but you just have to be prepared that they are aggressive. They want you to move over as quickly as possible. And, you know, it's one of those things, really. What is quite funny, particularly when I'm in Barry, is people doing a double take when they realise you're on the other side of the car. You know, they'll be looking across the road and they'll think, hang on, you know, who's driving this car?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get that in the UK when you see a French vehicle, for example, you look to the driver's seat and it's empty. You're like, what? Oh, no, they're on the other side of the car.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. (laughs) What I would say, um, I've been burnt a few times, not so much with speeding fines, but with bloody parking fines. So the signs are deliberately ambiguous. I think a lot of it is down to what color the lines are on the road. And they're quite sneaky. They don't give you a ticket you just get an email from them some months later. So, you know, I had a letter come through a few weeks ago relating to a parking fine from August. So, you know, you think that everything's okay, and suddenly you get this letter or email out of the blue. So, you know, it's one of those things. Mm. Just be careful when you're looking at parking in old towns.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just be aware and hopefully don't get burned.
0: (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, it's all part of the fun, isn't it?
1: You were saying, Clive, that COVID has affected your time there. And I'm fully aware that about a year ago, sort of March, April, Italy was really struggling with with COVID. And then they went through the summertime and things were getting better and then perhaps Mm. thought things were going to be okay and then went south again quite quickly. And and even now it's almost like a roller coaster with trying to stay on top of the situation there. It's true. How have you been able to continue keeping your mindset in a positive way because obviously you have to work your work yeah. environment teaching has obviously been i guess a lot more virtually focused via zoom for example or online classes yeah. and then your social activities have been restricted the the, the amount of travelling you can do because of covid has been restricted to more local areas like in a yeah. lot of places in the world yeah how yeah. how have you managed as well as being away from your, your friends and family in the UK, have you managed to figure out a system to
0: just keep your mindset in a positive way? So I think the key thing is really is keeping busy, trying to be creative, you know, looking after your mental health, really. Um, You know, every day for me starts with yoga, which was something I picked up in India. Mm. Um, I try and do, you know, some form of exercise, whether it's a run or a workout in the flats, and, you know, I try and read every day and, you know, try and nourish yourself that way, really. In terms of work, I think that, you know, the school was really, really good in how quickly we transformed to becoming basically an online business. Mm. You know, in February, we were teaching every class 30 hours a week in person. And by mid-March, everything had moved online. And, you know, the students, for the most part, understood And the lessons were exactly the same online as they would be in person. But I think that everyone is kind of, you know, suffered in some sort of way, really. Uh, What I would say kind of socially is that I think COVID has brought everyone together a lot more, particularly friends back home. Um, I've got a set of um, male friends I was at school with from the age of 11 until 18. And, you know, we've got a WhatsApp group that's been ongoing for about 10 years or so now. Um, but we've been having Zoom calls, which would never have happened in London or in the UK. Everyone would just would have, you know, I guess we would have met up more, but we'd never have a Zoom call just to see how everyone's doing. So I think a benefit has been that actually maybe it's brought old friends back together a bit more. Hmm. But you know, in Italy it's been frustrating really, you know. You make friends or you make connections. January, I went to a gig at a really cool venue in the city called Officina degli Azordi. I met the promoter afterwards and exchanged email addresses and there hasn't been a gig there since. And that was 18 months ago. So it's been frustrating. And if you want to feel down about it, you can do, but at the end of the day, this is the way the world is at the moment. This time last year, when we were getting ready to move everything online, uh, my boss, who's the owner of the school in Barry, he's been doing this thing for 50 years. He kind of said something that resonated. He said, you know, this is still our lives, I don't want you guys feeling like you're wasting your life over this year, you know, this is still an experience for you, try and get the most out of it, and obviously he's trying to motivate staff that might be feeling a bit uncertain, but I think there's also some truth in it, you know, we're still alive, I still have my health and things, mm. so getting the most out of it and you know, try and seize the opportunity, really. Yeah. Yeah. How how have you tried to kind of cope with things?
1: I'm very similar to you, Clive. It's been a matter yeah. of keeping busy, checking in, like, often and purposefully with friends and family, just because yeah. you feel like an obligation because you know that the world is suffering mentally in this situation. But trying to be creative, and then that takes up time and is another way of keeping busy but also it's it's fun and enjoyable as well yeah and then socially yeah it's been frustrating i would say that's a good word you can't go Mm. and see friends in the pub you can't travel even a few hours to the next town to see friends you can zoom which has been great and like you said the zooming phenomenon let's call it has become a thing and i've I've had to get used to it. I don't necessarily like video conferencing historically, but I've just gotten used to it. And that has been a way of connecting and staying in touch with people and and looking out for each other as well. It's true. But yeah, I think being busy, being creative, and getting out for some exercise definitely is is just the simple things to keep you in a positive mindset. But I think also, Clive, with you, being right next to the sea I think is a definite advantage. It's true. I mean,
0: <laughs> you know, my flat has moulds. There's no central heating, but having the sea around the corner is, is a definite benefit. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I think we all just have to adapt, don't we? Um, in Italy, there's been a 10 p.m. curfew since October, November. So if you meet friends or you meet colleagues, you meet up in the afternoon, you know, you go for a beer at 4 p.m. You might grab a pizza if you can do. And you call it a night by 9.30. You know, you just adapt differently. Mm-hmm. I've started doing a film night with some colleagues. And whereas in normal times, you would meet up at, say, 8. You know, we meet up at five thirty six, And it's done by 9 o'clock. So we just have to adapt, don't we, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bit like uh, older people going to bed early and getting up early. It's true. It's true. I think everyone's doing that because <laughs> it's almost like you're having your evening out a few hours earlier. So, yeah, definitely true. Yeah. Clive, immersing yourself in
1: another culture, you were saying you've used this experience and it's helped you to get back into some of your creative loves from the past, like your writing yeah. and things like that. I, I know for me, being in a foreign environment and being in a place where everything is so new and you're just absorbing all this 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 new... Um, uh, Stimuli or... St- exactly. That's the yeah. word I was looking for. <laughs> ideas can just be, start brewing up so would you say that this decision you made to leave london and go to a foreign country and live and work there has that stimulated your creative pursuits and how has it done that
0: i think massively so you know i remember the day that i moved to barry i was just so excited do you know what i mean i was excited in a way that i hadn't been for maybe a couple of years you know even being show around my flat I was just beaming I love kind of being here and I think that you know a benefit of maybe having less to do because of COVID in terms of going out it's meant that you have more times more time for your passions. so um, reading is something that I've just discovered you know um, in London I would read a book on the tube maybe I would perhaps, you know, try and read before I go to bed when you're absolutely knackered and not really in the right mindset to take things in. But last year, I was kind of getting through a book every two weeks and, you know, I don't want to sound, um, you know, pretentious about it, but it's just been really, really enriching. I don't have a TV here. I have a laptop so I can still, you know, watch documentaries and watch films. But I think as well, that's kind of been a big bonus. I think in London, we're all guilty of coming home from work you put the TV on and you know, if you've had a long day, people veg out in front of that. Whereas here, you know, there's a reason to kind of write. There's a reason to read. There's a reason to pick up the guitar. Mm -hmm. With the writing, it just felt that it was something I wanted to reconnect with really. When I was kind of 15, 16, 17, I was writing for the local newspaper. Um, I was doing work experience to music magazines. And, you know, for quite a few years, it felt like, you know, I was going to probably be a journalist, and that was going to be my career. And then a teacher at school told me, don't do a journalism degree. It's too narrow and will affect your career chances. So I listened to them. And at university, you know, there are maybe other priorities. And once you hit your career, you know, writing falls by the wayside. So um, it's been nice kind of reconnecting with that. At the moment, there's no ulterior motive other than just hopefully... You know, turning other people onto things that I find interesting. I don't really write so much about me. It's more about towns or music or, you know, just weird things that I find interesting. So, yeah, you know, that's been one benefit out of this, certainly.
1: Clive, tell everybody who's listening about your blog and where they can find it.
0: So, the blog is Set Your Own Scene, setyourownscene.com. It's a labour of love at the moment. The title is inspired by a song called You Set the Scene by one of my favourite bands, Love and Arthur Lee. And it's a collection of writing about lots of weird and wonderful things. It might be food one week and music the next. It might be about, you know, the old lady lives opposite me and Barry and, you know, a conversation I had with her. It's really kind of musings and almost stream of consciousness thoughts. But have a look. Um, If it sounds interesting, subscribe. Um, And also you can find me on Instagram at Clive Drew. I thought it probably wasn't the best thing to do to create a separate account for the blog, but let's see how it goes.
1: Yeah. Clive, it's time for... My Favourite Four. Don't think about the questions too much. I'm just going to ask you, what is your favourite something? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, first thing that pops into your head, that's something you think is your favourite. What is your favorite piece of clothing?
0: Uh, A black leather jacket that I bought in India last year. That doesn't surprise me, Clive. (laughs) Or possibly a black pair of drainpipe jeans that I've been living in since I was 16. (laughs) (laughs) This could be interesting. What is your favorite foreign word? Favorite foreign word. That's an interesting one. So I'm learning Italian at the moment. It's going quite slowly, but there's lots of new vocabulary that I'm taking in. Let's go for spazzola, which is Italian for brush. Spazzola.
1: We have a, an English word spatula, yeah.
0: which is what you use
1: when you're baking and stuff like that. Mm. I wonder if that's sort of come over
0: Possibly. from Italian. Possibly. There's a lot of similar words in English and Italian, actually. Mm. Um, yeah, quite interesting. Yeah. Clive, what is your favourite continent? Favourite continent? I mean, I haven't been to all of them, so I don't know if I'm really qualified to say. I mean, let's go for Europe. I feel that Europe needs to be bigged up at the moment.
1: <laughs> and the last one, Clive, what is your favourite travel brand? Favourite
0: travel brand? Hmm. I'm going to big up my one more headphones, which is what I'm listening through today. These are amazing uh, noise cancelling in-ear headphones that just make music sound great. So one more headphones would be my favorite travel brand. One, Does that count? one more? Yeah. So one, the number, and then more, M-O-R-E, um, really, really good quality headphones.
1: Where did you come across them? I
0: think it probably was from just doing some research, you know, top 10 headphones, these sorts of things. Tech radar is always really good for, you know, best gadgets, things like that. So I think it was probably a top 10. My favorite four.
1: Last thing, Clive. Okay. If you are having a conversation with somebody who was considering teaching English abroad yeah, and who perhaps is, you know, around... 30 let's say and maybe they want a, a C change with a career change from your feedback and your experiences in Italy what kind of suggestions or advice would you give
0: if they're seriously thinking of doing it I would say you know do your qualification you know do your CELTA or your TEFL qualification start researching you know what age groups you want to teach um, the school I work at is brilliant for the fact that you teach from young learners through to adults um, some of the more, um, I think the schools in kind of Asia are perhaps more teenagers, these sorts of things. Um, so, you know, think about do I really want to be working with teenagers all day? Or, you know, am I cut out to work with kids? And then just start doing your research. I think um, TEFL.com is really good for job opportunities, um, as is TEFL.org.uk. But I think that, you know, as long as you approach it in the right way, and you're prepared for the fact that you'll have to work hard and you'll be stepping outside your comfort zone, I think it's a great thing to do. Even if you do it for a year or two and then you go back to your previous life, I think it's only a positive thing, really. What other advice would I give? I think also, perhaps in a teaching environment, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, <laughs> I would hate to have any of my lessons you know, recorded because, you know, when you're teaching nine-year-olds, you have to do Simon Says, jump up and down and do these things. So, you know, perhaps it's quite good for, you know, lightening up a bit as well, I think.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. Don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I, think,
0: right?
1: I think the whole world needs to, to, to take in this piece of advice in every context.
0: I think quite possibly, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Clive. Really enjoyed the chat, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast. Pleasure, Alan. So thank you very much.
0: Thanks very much. Well, you know, it's been good to connect after all these
1: years. Thanks for listening to the Nostalgic Vagabond. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. And if you would like to listen to other interesting talks on travel, there are more podcasts available. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. And for updates, just follow me at The Nostalgic V. Don't forget your journey is special. Own it. I've been Alan Hill. Until next time. Enjoy listening to the Nostalgic Vagabond. Why not support the podcast? If you haven't already, subscribe and you'll be notified when new apps drop. You can also support the podcast by leaving a rating or a review on your podcast app. Why not share this episode? Tell your friends about it if something resonated with you. Word of mouth is great promotion. If you're into social media, maybe post a screenshot of the episode or upload the link on your profile so your mates can see what interesting content you've been into lately. All your support comes straight back and helps to keep the travel content and nostalgia of this podcast going. Cheers. So don't forget to subscribe.